football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Headed into week eight of the 2018 Division Three football season, I'm Pat Coleman with D3Football.com. This is uh, Keith McMillan joining me alongside for uh, Around the Nation podcast number 214, the 15th one of this season. Keith, it feels like uh, we have been in the podcast booth most of the week. It does feel like that. This is number three. But uh, the closer we get to the to week 11, which is the climax of the season, and then the postseason, uh, the more often we should do this or the more subject matter we have to talk about. So, uh, so yeah, let's dive right into another one. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of subject matter. We are just a week and a half away from the first regional rankings. Those are the ones that the NCA committees, the various four regional committees and the national committee put together, and they are the ones that will determine eventually who gets to the NCA playoffs, how those teams are seeded. Uh, those things, those first regional rankings will be a treat for some and a trick for others when they first come out on Halloween afternoon. Uh, there's still a couple of weeks before we have automatic bids to clinch here for this season. And if you think the five, yes, just five at-large bids should go just to teams in power conferences, we could very easily right now just pencil in Wesley, St. Thomas, Harden-Simmons, John Carroll, UW Oshkosh, say those five should go and the heck with the rest of you. But we've got four weeks left to play. Tough opponents yet to get past for those teams. And besides, what is it we always say, Keith? Well, I don't know if we always say this one, but it's certainly a cliche I've heard on this particular podcast before that bids go to teams, not to conferences. So it, just because you finish second in the MIAC or the WIAC doesn't necessarily mean you're automatically in. We certainly look, as top 25 voters, we look for strength of schedule, the teams who have played stronger teams but particularly with the with the WIAC if uh if Oshkosh wins it's it's clash with uh UW lacrosse this weekend coming up they're the number two team potentially in the WIAC and they have a a non-division loss and technically that doesn't factor in but that's also one fewer win and you're looking at somebody like maybe center finishing second to Barry in a not as strong conference that may have a, a pretty good resume so there'll be some teams in that nine and one group where you know they may have a good chance and the teams in that group as well are sort of rooting against the the Harden Simmons, St. Thomas, Wesley, John Carroll and Oshkosh group. Maybe one of those teams picks up a second loss somewhere along the way, opens up a spot for a 9 and 1 team from a less well-regarded conference. Yeah, Keith talks about it right there, right folks. The stuff that goes on in our top 25 and goes on in the, the heads of our top 25 voters doesn't necessarily always translate to what goes on in the minds of the committee, the committee of uh, NCA coaches, athletic directors, and uh, conference commissioners and other similar personnel. They have their list of criteria that they go by in region winning percentage, uh, head-to-head wins, you know, uh, strength of schedule, common opponents, uh, results against regionally ranked opponents. Those are the five main ones. And we will have uh, Jim Catanzaro, who is the head coach at Lake Forest College and also the chair of the Division Three National Football Committee. He's agreed to sit down with us for a podcast interview next week. You know, Keithy also requested a hip-hop battle of some sort, so I am not super familiar with those things, so we better make sure that there's a time that you're available as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be like eight mile D3 style. I was trying to think of a number that that would have made the joke funny, but um, I think he just wanted to maybe was a trivia. I think he wanted to talk about. But in any case, for the for the folks out there who uh, who love D3 football and for whatever reason don't love old school hip hop, um, Coach Catanzaro is, of course, the national chair. And and what we'll try to do over the next several podcasts and especially when we have him on is break down what the you know how teams get into the playoffs what the the two committees right there regional committees that report to the national committee and and the national committee is made up of eight members that are all parts of the regional committees the the racks talk every week and those the regional groups put out the regional ranking so we'll make sense of all that in the in the next several podcasts we'll explain how teams get chosen to the postseason for those of you who are relatively new to D3 who, who are not familiar, who just need a refresher. And I think right now we're in kind of this fun place in week eight where there are a lot of teams that still have, you know, hopes and dreams ahead of them, even if they're stuck um, behind a team in a, in a where they don't have a hope of, of winning the conference. And I'm thinking in this case, the OAC, right? Most likely Mountain Union is going to win. They've already beaten Baldwin Wallace and John Carroll. Um, 
but right now you've got four teams, five, four teams in that conference that are five and one or six and oh. So there's going to be some pretty good head to head matchups in week eight, nine, 10, and 11. The American Rivers Conference. Not quite at that edge of the echelon in Division Three football, right? But they're a conference also that has an unbeaten team at the bo- at the top in conference and overall, and they have four teams right behind them with one loss apiece. So there are a lot of things will be, you know, kind of hashed out over the course of the uh, final four weeks here of the Division Three football regular season. We'll have one of those key pieces coming up this week. We'll have a key piece coming up in the Ohio Athletic Conference, and Keith and I will preview those games and some of the other big games here on this Friday podcast. So. As we mentioned, uh, we did an extra podcast this week. If you missed our Tuesday podcast, that was one where we took uh, 10 questions that people sent in via Twitter, and we uh, you know, we ran them uh, right down the list. And uh, I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Keith and I managed to stay awake after we recorded the uh, Monday podcast at about uh, 2 a.m. on uh, Monday morning. And I think that if people... Send a bunch of good questions. We'll probably do another extra podcast this week, and maybe we'll combine it with our Catanzaro interview, or maybe we'll have four podcasts. Yeah, whatever we do, you know, we have to leave some time in between for eating and sleeping. But I actually like the, when when we uh, I like the the mailbag format because we just know there there are people out there listening, and part of we've been doing this so long, Pat. This is our our twentieth season, as you say at the top of of most podcasts. And it's our it's our 20th season covering D3. It's our 12th year uh, podcasting. And so sometimes we've said the same things over and over again. And it's kind of hard to figure out what needs to be repeated and what people need to know. You know, sometimes we're just talking about like some of the questions on Tuesday were just um, particular this season. But as we get closer to the postseason, I think there will certainly be things, especially with playoff criteria, uh, the 500 mile rule. how the teams are not just selected, but also seated, um, you know, when when people on the committee have to recuse themselves, all those different things that come up that we've said so many times over and over again that I think uh, uh, if people out there have questions, I'd love to, to answer them. That's Those are all great points, and we will talk about a bunch of those yeah, coming up in future podcasts, maybe a couple of them here this afternoon in Podcast 214. Also coming up after the break, we'll talk with Cleve Adams. He's the head coach at Averett University. If you listened to our Tuesday podcast, you got just a snippet of what Coach Adams is going to talk about. They had Hurricane Michael uh, blow through and drop uh, six or seven inches of rain in a very short amount of time. So uh, we talked to him about that and getting his team prepped for you know what is probably the biggest game of their regular season. That is the game coming up Saturday against uh, defending USA South champ Huntington. So we'll have a chance to talk about that when we come back in just a moment. And I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches who need new equipment, who need to remove seven inches of rain from a football field or a parking lot or something like that on short notice, people who can influence decisions to re- replace turf, all sorts of things. By sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, Keith and I would wax poetic about your product or your service right here as we go to break, so think about it. Drop me a line at pat.coleman at d3sports.com because you're missing out. And Keith, I have yet to hear from any uh, Division Three alumni who want to send shout-outs to their teams or to their opponents, but that's something that uh, that we threw out and we offered to people a couple of weeks ago as well. That offer remains on the table. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe for, for Week 11, Big Rivalry Week, that'd be a great a great week to sponsor the podcast and just, you know, be like whatever, RPI, Screw Union or whatever, you know. Um, I think that's how I, that goes, yes. <laughs> You know, Ithaca and, and Cortland State—they're you know known for some shenanigans. So that we might we we would uh, be willing to, to get in on that. If you think our inner circle is too dominated by Wabash alums, for example, DePaul people—that is uh, that's out there for you to do. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, I'm joined by Cleve Adams, the head coach at Averett University in Danville, Virginia. His team at 4-1 uh, and one has already lost uh, one game to a, a weather-related event, and now you guys are struggling through a second bout of weather with uh, Hurricane Michael. Tell us a little bit about what uh, is going on with your team and your campus right now. Well, um, 
basically we we were caught off guard with Michael. Uh, we were we were very prepared for Florence, and and Michael snuck up on us last Thursday, and we uh, basically were going to try to do an inside practice on main campus, which we have a split campus here at Avery University, and we knew it was going to rain pretty significantly, and we decided to meet the guys on main campus so they didn't have to travel in the rain and practice in the gym. By the time we arrived at main campus, the rain had started, and it was something that that I've never experienced in my 48 years um, on this earth. It was unbelievable the amount of rain we received in less than an hour. Our campus was completely flooded. We can't obviously canceled the, the practice opportunity, and we were trying to get our kids in the room. The winds were up uh, significantly. And um, by the time we came out of the gym and broke the, broke the practice, the, the, the parking lot in one of our main parking lots, areas was basically three feet the water was at least three feet high and uh it was it was unbelievable it was like a a small river was running right through the middle of our small campus and it, it caught us off guard we lost power there shortly after and um just re regained power yesterday evening so it's been it's been a whirlwind yeah what do you guys so i assume when the campus loses power like that in first several days you're talking about kids are getting sent home or there's alternate accommodations being provided for them. And what happens to your team and athletic uh, practices in that, in that event? Well, uh, in this particular situation, unlike Florence, uh, classes were actually canceled anticipating Florence. Uh, Michael hit and all of our kids were on campus and in the aftermath of it all, it was tough for the administration because you didn't want to send kids home the day of because you had down trees, you'd had down power lines. So our entire administration was on uh, full alert and we were trying to hunker down, get all of our kids in central locations, figure out a way to feed them. Uh, at that point, we had emergency lighting that uh, usually holds up. I'm not sure how many hours, but it, it allowed us to, to be functional. But once the sun set, uh, it was pitch black and it was, it took all hands on deck here. I have to take my hat off to our administration and our, our, our safety team. Uh, everyone came together, our um, uh, emergency response team, and, and we made it through the night. And, and, and that was the main thing. Everyone was safe. None of our students uh, were harmed at all. Uh, it was just a team effort, and a lot of times in small colleges, communities like this, it's, it's a little bit easier to contain a situation, but it, it took a lot of effort and a lot of boots on the ground to, to get that under control. And then the days uh, following that, we were, we were able to uh, salvage uh, the majority of our football team uh, in terms of temporary housing and things of that nature. Uh, some of our young men were able to get out and go home a little bit more local, and we were able to um, to resume practice on that Friday because power on our north campus, which is our athletic side, uh, came back on. So that was a blessing for us because uh, power on main campus was down, uh, but we did have power here on the north campus, and we were able to uh, get our student athletes on this side of town um, and, and get them uh, in an in an area and contain them, and we were able to to basically uh, put together some practice time leading into Saturday. So what have you seen? Huntington is one of the big questions in the conference right now, right? They've, they're have they obviously the defending champs. They've been good for quite a while, and it's been a struggle for them this year. What did you, what did you see on tape? What have you seen in preparing for, for them this week that uh, looks any different? Does anything look different? Uh, no. I mean, Mike does an outstanding job with his football team. They're extremely well coached. Uh, I, I think football is a very fickle sport uh, when you have 11 people that have to be going in the, in the same direction. Um, sometimes things can get going in, in the wrong direction. But what I see on film, I see Huntington. I see the defending champions. Uh, our kids understand that the road to a conference title goes through Montgomery, Alabama. And, um, it, and it hadn't changed in our eyes. When you turn the film on, you see a well-coached football team. You see athletes. You see, um, you see a, a a machine, and and their record that does not represent what they are. And they're starting to play their best football at the right time. And 
So I, I think this conference in the next two or three weeks is going to be very, very interesting because on any given Saturday, any any one team can 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 take it uh, and, and win that game. So we have to stay focused on on us. We got we have to focus on Avery and and our big thing is is to execute at a high level and play with great energy. It's still a relatively young program, right? There's a uh, you know the program started in the 2000. You last year guys go six and four, which is you know the second best record in the history of the program and you inherited a team that uh you know when you came on in 2014 had gone one and nine the year before and had really struggled what's it been like kind of rebuilding this program that's in a sense is still kind of building out in the first place absolutely um when we arrived in 2014 we knew we had our hands full um I've been part of the old Dixie Conference slash USA Conference, USA South Conference in the old Dominion in my entire career. So I'm very, I was very um, aware of the situation. Um, one thing I understood was that at Avery University, we were able to get our hands on some solid athletes. And I felt like when I interviewed for the job that the administration, uh, Dr. Franks, um, and uh, the director of athletics, Meg Stevens, wanted to 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 build the program and give the program opportunity to be successful, and but but not overnight. Uh, the, our philosophies lined up in terms of wanting to do things the right way. Uh, we didn't try to get a, get ahead of ourselves in 2014, 2015, moving forward. Uh, I wanted to build a culture first. Uh, I wanted to to set a foundation first and 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 worry about the wins later and and i think we've done a a good job not just me as the head football coach or this program in general it's just the 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 leadership on our campus from the president down we understand that we are a division three program uh we are we do have student athletes and their students first and we want to take care of the the foundation of, of the student first and then and build a culture that is going to um expect success not only on the field but in the classroom as well so uh it's it's been a journey uh we we're not quite there yet we're i I think we're playing some respectable football and um i think if we continue to do the things that we set out to do day one and not get ahead of ourselves i think we'll continue to progressively get better what's working for you guys so far this season and what do you think needs work going forward uh, what's working, honestly, uh, yeah, our leadership. One thing that I focused on and, and this staff we focused on is, is leadership development. Uh, anyone who, who touches a, this football program understands that our philosophy starts and it's simple. First Corinthians 13, 11, and 12, which is, you know, my, my faith, I, I don't try to hide it. Uh, basically, and, and then the, the acronym hashtag BAM, which means be a man. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 13, 11, and 12 just talks about when you were a child, you acted like one. When you became a man, you had to put away childish ways. And and, and that ties into our leadership model. We have an unbelievable um, leadership model in our locker room. And we've been, and that's not something that happens overnight. You build a culture, you hold your your, your student athletes and your, your leaders accountable. Um, and, and they start, and it funnels down from head coach to coordinators to position coaches to team leaders and uh, down throughout the entire roster. And I think we do a really good job um, keeping the first, you know, the first thing first. And, and that's taking care of one another and, and being accountable. And one of my famous sayings, and my kids hear it all the time, love don't feel good all the time. We, we focus on accountability. We focus on doing things the right way, being good citizens, um, being positive, um, positive role models on campus um and and it's important to us the football part of it is going to take care of itself uh we're out here coaching the game and we're working at it as coaches but if you get your culture and your foundation right and you recruit the right way the football will fall into place eventually sean bowman the running back senior running back now your all-time leading rusher has gotten a lot of um, a lot of notice, right, in terms of offense, but you guys spread the ball around a lot and have been successful with a lot of different things so far this year. Yes, it, it, he definitely does. Sean's a special student athlete. I mean, he 
he came to us, uh, I think my second year. Um, and we knew he was special when we got him. He's, um, he's above average, fast, uh, legit four, four kid. Um, but what people don't understand about Sean Bowman is Sean Bowman, you have to, you have to pull him off the practice field when he's beat up. He, he's, a lot of great players like that look for opportunities to, to take days off. You have to make him take a day off. He, and that's the, that's the part of, about him that I admire. And, and, and that helps when younger players are seeing your top player, not trying to find ways out of football practice, not trying to find ways out of uh, team workouts. Uh, and, and that's the type of culture that we're building. That there's no one's above the football program. And, um, you know, it just takes consistency over time, and those older guys and your better players buying into to your the philosophy of your football program, and and he makes it easy for us to to keep that tradition going and keep that that accountability going moving forward. On the defensive side, I remember in kickoff in our preview, we wrote about you guys losing a lot of guys up front defensively, and it looks like if I'm just looking at you know the number of times you guys have gotten to the opposing quarterback that uh, you guys have some have found those guys and solved some of those problems so far. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, my defensive coordinator, Tristan Burnett, he does an unbelievable job. He came over two years ago. Um, and uh, at that point I saw the defensive start, side of the ball start to change. I'm a longtime defensive guy and um, having a young coordinator in here with that type of energy and, and uh, his, his ability to get the most out of these kids is, is unbelievable. And, yeah, we had a, a, a lot to work on up front, but we, we also had some, some guys that were, that were basically backups in the previous season. They got a lot of reps. I, I know on two or three occasions last year we played 13 defensive linemen because we knew we were going to be in this situation. Are they where we want them to be 100% right now in execution? No, but they play with unbelievable energy. They're super athletic. They can run. Um, and, and, and they just believe in each other. I mean, we have a defensive culture here that, that we're going to fly to the football. And um, execution, we, you know, we hold execution to a, to a high, high standard here in terms of doing things right. And, and I think some of the holes and some of the experience that we lack, we just make it up in the effort. Keith, I came into this interview with about 10 bullet points of things to talk about. And we, when we got into the virtual recording studio, uh, Coach Adams tells me a little bit about what's been going on in campus. And I basically rip up the entire plan and start over. We had no idea what was going on at Averett this week. Pat, one of the reasons D3 is so fascinating is because with 250 football playing schools, literally coast to coast, there are always more stories than we're able to tell. And, and you stumbled upon this one. So from the Hurricane Michael flash flooding to Cleve Adams quoting 1 Corinthians, I'm always drawn in by the interviews. I was working at the Washington Post on the night of the storms, and, and technically Hurricane Michael was, was more than one night, and we had planned for it to be really bad when it hit Florida and, and crossed over um, Georgia and, and maybe into the Carolinas, but I don't know if if folks in Virginia, and for those of you listening, for those of you who aren't familiar with the geography in Virginia, Danville is basically uh, on the North Carolina line, center, you know, central Virginia. That part of the state just got crushed because you, you, the warnings across the southeast were very strong. Again, Florida, Carolinas, uh, Georgia, they knew they were going to get hit pretty significantly. And you get that warning several days out. You plan for it. You can evacuate cities. In towns, you can you know batten down the hatches or whatever. But when you all you hear on the news is Florida is going to get hit, and then all of a sudden you know the storm comes through and drops inches and inches and inches of rain on your city within an hour, and just nobody's um, sewers or drainage or you know whatever is equipped to handle that. Um, it it can be, I guess, catches you off guard. It could be startling. You know, Coach Adams talked about it in in the interview um, that. A, a school, when it knows something is happening, it can have a plan. It can safely send students off campus, go home, be be with your family, be where you're safest. But when it happens kind of unexpectedly, there are all these contingencies, but a lot of the contingencies go out the window. And so everybody just sort of bands together. And because he said they got through it, nobody got hurt. 
you know, they may look back at that. I have memories from when I was in college of getting caught on campus with, you know, like a foot and a half in the 96 blizzard. I'm sure some of you out there have different stories of getting stuck on campus for different weather events. And it actually ends up being kind of a, a warm memory. But I'm sure at the time it was kind of crazy. I can be honest with you. I cut more out of this interview than I've ever cut before. It was a, just a fascinating 19 minute conversation. You guys got the best 13 minutes of it. And uh, yeah, uh, just uh, congratulations and kudos to everybody at Averett University for making things happen this week and getting this uh, getting this team on the football field and everybody else safely both off and then back onto campus. Moving on to our six games to watch, and we're going to, with some trepidation, let Frank Rossi kick us off. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. Last Saturday, another piece of the NJAC Conference race puzzle was potentially solved when Salisbury, despite scoring no points in the last three quarters, held on to beat then-undefeated Montclair 17-15. Montclair faces another challenge this week and needs to win to still have any chance for the playoffs as number 4 Frostburg State comes to town. The Bobcats cruised to a 56-0 victory over William Patterson on Saturday, scoring 42 points in the second quarter. While it's tough to single out just one successful aspect of Frostburg State's team, quarterback Connor Cox has led the way for his team, throwing 10 touchdowns against just two interceptions this season. Defensively, the team has registered 50 tackles for loss, including 23 sacks. That's nearly five sacks per game for the Bobcats' defense. But the Redhawks' defense is no pushover either. In fact, they've given up just eight points per game compared to Frostburg's 11. Montclair even held Salisbury's prolific rush offense to just 148 yards Saturday. However, to pull an upset, not only will the Montclair defense need to sustain their strength, but the offense will need to up their game after a tough day versus Salisbury. Quarterback Jaquil Birch had thrown just three interceptions this season before Saturday's four-interception performance. Obviously, a repeat performance against a team that capitalizes on mistakes like Frostburg State would lead to a lopsided affair. This correspondent remembers heading to Montclair last year when nationally ranked Wesley came to town, with the Wolverines needing a fourth-quarter comeback to win the game because of Montclair's defensive strength for the first three quarters of play. While an upset is a large long shot Saturday, this game will certainly not be a gimme for the Bobcats. Back to you, Pat and Keith. Frank Rossi with about the most normal toss back to studio. Now let's toss it back out to Adam Turr. For the first time, the CCIW title could be on the line in St. Louis, Missouri. In their first year as conference members, the Washington University Bears have started 4-1 in league play and are tied for second with Milliken and North Central. That trio is looking up at conference unbeaten and 17th ranked Illinois Wesleyan. First place is on the line when the Bears host the Titans on Saturday night. Wash U is led by a stifling defense which held Wheaton to negative 3 rushing yards and 10 points last weekend. Quarterback Johnny Davidson completes 69% of his passes and is thrown for 1,639 yards and 13 touchdowns. He will be tested by a Titans defense that yields just 187 passing yards per contest and has snagged 10 interceptions. Quarterback Brandon Bauer has passed for 13 touchdowns and rushed for 8 more to lead the Titans offense. Four different receivers have over 25 receptions, and Morgan Alexander is averaging nearly 100 rushing yards per game, so the Wash U defense will have another tall task. Can it rise to the occasion again and cause a logjam atop the conference standings? With IWU hosting North Central on November 3rd, no matter Saturday's result, the CCIW conference race will come down to the wire and be among the most thrilling in the nation. That Wash U is already part of the conversation in year one is a huge boost to the already strong conference. Pat and Keith, back to you. Thanks a lot, Adam. When the season started, not many people thought this game would be a big matchup, but it will be when undefeated Marietta travels to one loss and number 10 ranked John Carroll. Marietta has literally never beaten John Carroll in 30 meetings, managing just a tie in 1995, the last year ties were part of college football. The Pioneers this season have gotten through with two one-point wins and a four-point win, and a victory on Saturday would make them 7-0 for the first time in the program's history. Tanner Clark has rushed for more than 1,000 yards through six games, and Darian Fields has thrown just three interceptions in 163 attempts. But John Carroll will be their toughest opponent of the year by far. This is a team which held Mountain Union under 300 yards and held Capital to 180. You may remember Capital racking up 658 yards of total offense against Marietta earlier this season. Frank, Adam, and Pat, you each got some pretty good games, but there's some more left. Hobart at number 19 RPI has won. In the six-team Liberty League, there are only five conference opponents, and what looked like a four-way race to the top might already be morphing into a two-team de facto title game. It's early, but Hobart bounced back from a 2-2 two and two start to beat Union and Rochester and heads to Troy to face an RPI team coming off a two-week layoff following that 10-9 win against Ithaca. 
I'll leave the deeper analysis for the in the huddle folks. But what I've liked about RPI is the ability to play close games, to play high scoring games, whatever they need and adapt to the situation. If the engineers win, it could be clear sailing until Dutchman's shoes. And if Hobart goes to 3-0 and in the Liberty League, the conference race and the potential playoff seed for the conference champion gets a little murky. One of the games I'm most looking forward to, Keith, is the one I'm going to be at on Saturday, and that's Central putting its unbeaten record on the line at Wartburg. The preseason number 13 team, Wartburg, has two losses, most recently a 37-36 defeat at home to Simpson in Week 5. But the Knights still control their destiny almost. They are one of four teams with one conference loss in the ARC, but they have unbeaten Central coming to town for homecoming. Now, you may remember Central from its trips to the 2000 and 2007 National Quarterfinals, or if you've been following D3 longer than we have or almost longer than I've been alive, you may remember their three Stag Bowl appearances or their 1974 national title. Warburg has won four of the past five meetings between the teams, but Central comes in with a potent offense while also leading the conference in total defense. Matt Sasha remains the Knights quarterback and has completed 69.3% of his passes here in his senior season. Central is coming off of a nail-biter of its own with Simpson, this one a 17-16 victory. Texas Lutheran travels to number nine, Harden-Simmons, and this is a matchup of five and one teams that failed their one big test against UMHB. And even though the Cowboys are ranked ninth and the Bulldogs aren't even receiving votes, Texas Lutheran can put itself in the playoff picture with a win. Harden-Simmons, after being shut out by Mary Harden-Baylor, went right back to scoring like mad, putting 48 on Sol Ross State last week. They're statistically the number six offense in the nation and number 13 in scoring, even with that big blemish. No mention of Jaquan Hemphill in the game last week, but Quarterback Ty Hooper connected with freshman Kevy Evans for two scores described on the team website as inside pitches. And wide receiver Reese Childress and slotback Bryson Hammonds keep the offense humming. Texas Lutheran, for its part, is 11th nationally in run defense and runs for 235 yards a game. So look for the battle in the trenches to go full cliche on you to be a huge factor. Ready for on the spot? I am. Okay, it's coin flip time. Call tails, always. Always. I just, you know, I don't want to assume... The coin flip is super important and on the spot. It is. All right. We are heads this week. So I will. uh, And it's the Alaska quarter. That's pretty cool. I didn't notice that. Name of the game is called punch up. And uh, there's two facets to this game. Keith, I tried to pick something simpler because last week was kind of complicated. I don't know. We got a little little feedback on that. (laughs) It got a it got a little convoluted. This should be a little simpler, Keith. I'm going to ask you to. Pick a mascot that's going to punch above its weight class. So you're going to pick a mascot that's an animal that's going to beat an animal that, you know, normally on the field of battle it wouldn't. So something like, I don't know, a cardinal to beat a tiger, something like that. And then part two is you're going to punch up the headline and make it super punchy. Sound good? Oh, interesting. And this is one game I'm picking? Yeah, we could do this with one game. If it's uh, fast and quick and easy and funny, we could do a second game. Hmm, Okay. All right, Pat, this one's kind of tough because as I scroll through the games that interest me, they're either uh, people against animals, so like center and roads, colonel against the lynx. That, that wouldn't be a really interesting fight. Or, or too many people mascots. But I think I have one. And I don't, eh, I don't know, but I don't know who should win in real life. I guess I might have this backwards. George Fox, Bruins. Okay. Linfield. Wildcats. Ooh. Who who wins that fight in real life? Should a Bruin beat a Wildcat? Like in real life, man. I feel like the Bruin is like this big behemoth thing, and the Wildcat is kind of a little more uh, athletic, to to put it in football terms. Well, I'm I'm curious about this game because I I wonder if George Fox has a shot. They've played uh, Linfield well or better than many teams in the Northwest Conference over time but they haven't been I, I don't know how outstanding they've been this season and certainly Linfield struggled a little bit out the gate but have, have gotten themselves together on in the past few weeks so I actually could probably pick this one either way but the more fierce the, I, I think a Bruin should win in real life therefore I, I pick Linfield but I think it, I think it could be a better game than than, than the ranking uh, Linfield's 24th in the top 25, then the, it could be a better game than the ranking suggests. All right. And in, in addition to the Wildcat punching up in class, right, you got to punch up the headline on this game. So, like, I got to I, I gotta get all, like, kind of punny. Wildcats bite back George Fox. Oh, there's a fox involved, too. <laughs> this could be good. <laughs> this could, 
I mean, Wildcats scratch and claw their way to a 12-9 win against George Fox. All right. Okay, here's how I'm going to put you on the spot this week, Pat. It's not that difficult. You pick as many winners as you want or as few as you want. One rule. You got to pick the westernmost winner. So you pick a game in the west, and then the next the next one's got to be more to the east, to the east, to the east. If you want to start in Iowa, that's fine, but your next your next winner's got to be more eastern than whoever you pick. If you start out Claremont Mudscrips, that's fine. Your next winner's just got to be more eastern until you get to the coast. Okay. You ready? All right. I give I like you thirty. That. I give you thirty seconds to scroll the games and get your get your mind together. Well, the great thing is that the games are already sorted by kickoff time, and that is a right. rough. That's Start a, at the bottom. That's a rough sort of geography. All right, let's give this a shot. This sounds interesting. Okay, here we go. Pomona Pitzer to beat Whittier. Let's see. Redlands to beat Laverne. Redlands is at least an hour and a half east of uh, of Pomona Pitzer. I've already lost track here. Uh, I'm going to take Solross State to beat Howard. Good, I knew that's where you were going next. <laughs> Well, I'm just going to avoid all of the Pacific Northwest because uh, I, I'm not quite sure where Sol Ross falls in uh, relation to uh, to latitude and longitude. Right, and Whitworth's not playing this week. That's the one team in the Northwest I can count on being not quite on the coast. So then we're going to go for, let's see, uh, shoot, Concordia Moorhead is at Bethel, and I don't think Concordia Moorhead's going to win. That's my westernmost uh, Minnesota team. It's about Nebraska Wesleyan is uh, playing Luther. I'm going to take Nebraska Wesleyan to beat Luther. So that's Nebraska. I still have all of Iowa to play with. And, and for those of you out there who are not familiar with the D3 map, if you had just have to visualize it in your head, 85% of the schools are mid upper Midwest, mid mid Atlantic, Northeast. Yeah, exactly. So this is where it gets tough for you, Pat. It does. Am I allowed to pull up a map? Or do I have to do this? Sure. In my I mean, the listeners can't see it. Also, you don't have to pick twelve games. You can pick four if you want. I was trying to. I was going to try to maximize the potential and just lengthen out this podcast as long as possible. But uh, let's see. I'm going to try to pick someone in. Uh, try to pick someone in Minnesota and someone in Iowa. Um, but I, I can't pick Minnesota Morris because they're playing Westminster, and we're going to heavily edit this. I already ruled out Concordia. Um, all right, I'm going to take Gustavus Adolphus to beat Augsburg. Gustavus is about an hour and a half west of Minneapolis-St. Paul, so I have all of my Minneapolis-St. Paul to play with. I'm going to go out on a limb, not necessarily. I'm going to pick a game I don't have to. I'm going to take Central over Wartburg. Central is in Pella, Iowa, which is, I think, just a hair west of Des Moines, straight down I-35. This still leaves me a significant amount of the Twin Cities, so I will take St. Thomas over Carleton. And then I'm going to take uh, UW-Platteville over UW-Eau Claire. Um, I still have a majority of uh, Wisconsin to work with, but I'm going to take McMurray over Iowa Wesleyan. Yeah, not to be confused with the the more southern-inflected McMurrays. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how far east or west of 35 that Abilene is. Abilene's a little west of 35, so I think we've already passed that by. Uh, after McMurray, I'm going to take uh, UW-Whitewater over UW-River Falls. And that eliminates a significant amount of Illinois as well. But I think I have enough room to take North Central over Carthage. Someone's going to have to check the map to see if that's valid or not. Um, and I'm going to take uh, Franklin over Earlham to get into Indiana. I was going to say, do we enforce where the game site is? Oh, I thought the it was. At. It's the winner, right? Okay, right. Yeah, true, true. That's the that's the assumption I'm going under. So we're at Franklin, which is a half hour south of Indianapolis. Uh, I sixty five or seventy four or something like that. I've driven through most of these places, which is good to, which is definitely helpful here. You have picked something that I could definitely play with for quite some time. Uh, yes, please spare the poor listeners. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take Ohio Northern over Capital. Ohio Northern is called Ohio Northern, but it's really kind of in the northwest corner of Ohio. Um, let's see. Ada, to Ada. be exact. Ada, Ohio. I don't have to take a team in Michigan per se. But I'm going to take Adrian over Albion just to uh, just to keep playing here. Adrian is kind of near Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, this the, league... the MIAA race is actually pretty interesting. 
This leaves me the Cleveland area for sure. So I'm going to take Case Western Reserve over Geneva. Um, and that's, Case, Case Western's trying to keep pace with uh, W&J in the pack. And hopefully has uh, looked at that uh, video from Saturday to figure out how to defend uh, against the option better than W&J did. Of course, W&J did end up winning 50-43. to 43. We have... Um, the difference between like the Tennessee Virginia border and the Pennsylvania Ohio border and Waynesburg at St. Vincent would be a great game that nobody should touch because that's a that's a super toss up game. Waynesburg is west of St. Vincent though, um, but I instead I'm going to take Frostburg over Montclair State. Frostburg is uh, probably about 30 minutes or so from the Maryland-slash-Pennsylvania-West Virginia border, about 30 miles east of Morgantown. So now Here's the game I want you to pick, but depending on, on who wins or who you got winning, it's when you slot it in. FDU Florham at Misericordia. That's going to get us pretty close to the uh, Atlantic Ocean for sure. Um, but then I can swing up into New England. All right, I'm going to take Shenandoah over Emory and Henry. I thought a while about who was actually going to win that game, and that's a significant difference between East and West in that game. But Shenandoah gets us to within about 50 miles of the D.C. metro area. And then I'm going to take uh, Johns Hopkins over Gettysburg. That gets us just a little bit north and a little bit east of D.C. Oh, So where do we go next? I'm going up I-95 now. And I'm going to take um, I'm going to take Wesley over Rowan. That gets me into Delaware. Still got some New Jersey to play with. I got lots of New York. I'm going to take TCNJ over Kane. TCNJ in the Trenton area. All right. I'm going to go. I'm going to move into uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut, and take Western Connecticut over Bridgewater State. I am going to take Amherst over Wesleyan. I'm in Western Massachusetts. I'm going to take Plymouth State over Mass Maritime to get me into New Hampshire. Um, and then I have some Western Mass to play with, and that, or Western Mass, I have some Eastern Mass to play with, and that's where I'm going to take WPI over uh, Merchant Marine. Keith, I'm sorry, I, I missed FDU form in Misericordia. Yeah, this got way, this got way out of hand. <laughs> this whole, <laughs> you can count on me to take any reasonable. Uh, suggestion and take it far beyond its uh, regular conclusion and all the way to its full logical conclusion. Well, my hope is that uh, our readers, our, our readers, our listeners are, are laughing along with you. <laughs> well, beyond WPI, there's not a whole lot. I would have to take either someone from the CBB or instead University of New England or Husson, and I'm going to finish this off by taking Husson over Anna Maria, and that is as far east as I can get in Division Three football. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that your picks, whatever 20 that you made, <laughs> yeah. will, uh, will, you'll have a 750 winning percentage, at least, in your picks. I feel good about that. I, uh, the, one I'm, uh, was the one I'm most interested or most concerned about is Adrian versus Albion, which I really had no business picking because I don't know nearly enough about any of the teams in the MIAA whose uh, school names begin with A. Yeah, you were just trying to get into Michigan. I understand. You know, you if you guys have watched the uh, or, or read the uh, the best road trips features that we do sometimes in the summer, or you know any of the trips that I take at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the season, you'll know that I'm always looking for interesting ways to get places and to get to multiple games in the same week. In this case, it's like I got to 16 or whatever games in the same week. That was our on the spot for the week. We have to do our spot check, of course, where we uh, hold ourselves accountable for our stupidity or our convoluted games. And, of course, last week I asked Keith to pick games in which the winning school had uh, two people's names in it. And, yeah, this was complicated. And if you thought the final version that was in the podcast was convoluted, you have no idea how much we cut out to get to what we got to. Anyway, Keith uh, correctly picked Randolph-Macon to beat Shenandoah and picked Carnegie-Mellon to beat Bethany. Then, when I flipped the game around on him, correctly picked Linfield to beat both Lewis and Clark. Now, uh, Keith put uh, put together another Plymouth Rock game, and Pat correctly picked Trinity over Tufts in the game of T-teams, then got Coast Guard over Maine Maritime in an ocean-faring contest. 
picked Ripon over Blight in the Battle of Schools named after Wisconsin Towns, Rowan over TCNJ in the game of schools formerly known as Glassboro and Trenton State, and Benedictine over Wisconsin Lutheran in the Battle of Religiously Themed Knack Schools. Bye, 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 aye, aye, but missed on Texas Lutheran beating East Texas Baptist in the Battle of Teams with Texas in the title. The stars at night are big and bright. Big in the heart of Texas. Pretty good performance, though. I should have gotten Texas Lutheran East Texas Baptist. I don't know what I was thinking. Random number this week is uh, from 1 to 120. And we've been given game number 77. And game number 77, Keith, is uh, is Earlham at Franklin, which uh, we know that there is some significance to this game, even if the... Uh, even if the likely outcome is probably a, a fairly foregone conclusion, Earlham last week tied McAllister for the longest losing streak in Division Three history and seems uh, have a really tall order to try to keep from uh, putting itself in the record book for the longest uh, longest losing streak all told. Yeah, and there probably won't be a whole lot of lot of drama in this one because Franklin is five and one. They are scoring as uh, Mike Leonard teams generally do. They had a, an off week back in week two in a 56-35 loss to Albion or at Albion. But, but ever since then, uh, they've pretty much been, uh, been I don't say running up the score, but 51-42, 55-42. And that's kind of like the Franklin we know. They'll spread it out, um, you know, four or five wide receivers and, uh, and push the ball down the field. And so you imagine um, they'll do a little bit of that in the first half on Saturday. And, and really, for Earlham, you just want to see them um, – be competitive, if not this game, you know, at some point before the end of the season. We have to pick a rivalry trophy for this game. I think something like this just goes fairly generic and we get something like the Grizzle Quake Cup or something like that. Oh, no, I got a good one for this. I think Franklin and Earlham is like the uh, the, the the old black uncle game or like the, the good name for an old black man. Earl is a great name for an old black man and so is Franklin. What are you going to call this trophy? <laughs> the old black uncle, the old black uncle game. Yeah, the, uh, the old black uncle classic. All right. Well, only you could say that on this podcast. I'm pretty sure I could not uh, get away with that. So, yeah, I'll see how well that one goes over with the audience. But probably whoever is taking offense to it has an uncle named Earl. Fair enough. Time for the one liners. <laughs> I rattle off six games. Keith gets his uh, one-line response in. We got WNL at Ferrum, Benedictine at Eureka, North Central at Carthage, WPI at Merchant Marine, Bridgewater State at Western Connecticut, and UW Lacrosse at UW Oshkosh. Well, WNL is trying to remain a game behind Randolph-Macon in the ODAC race. If you're like me and you get the E schools confused, Elmhurst is in the CCIW, Earlham is the one with the long losing streak, and Eureka is actually looking to go 7-0 in the game at Benedictine on Saturday. Carthage has played Oshkosh, Illinois Wesleyan, Milliken, all three of those teams close, and they lost by 20 to Wash U, which is 5-1. and one. So maybe they're a pretty good team that has four losses and still has yet to face North Central or Wheaton. Yikes. WPI can put first place in the new Mac on the line next week against MIT if it takes care of business this week against Merchant Marine. In the MASCAC, Joe Lost Colonials are 6-0. and oh. Raise your hand if you knew that. They face second place Bridgewater State, which is five and two, with Framingham State looming in that race as well. They could be looking at a three-way tie if Bridgewater wins. Oshkosh and Lacrosse are both two and one, four and two in the WIAC, with both having lost to Whitewater. There's a chance at a playoff spot for the winner here, and if Oshkosh doesn't follow up on its big victory against Platteville, it'll be pretty deflating for them anyway. Time to take our uh, tally of quick hits and quick misses. Of course, quick hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games with six people giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some set of opinions on uh, what's coming up in the week in Division Three football. Last week, our regular panel, plus guest James Baker of In the Huddle, all picked the Johnny Tommy game as the game of the week, and it's hard to argue that, although last week's most interesting big game might have been Wheaton at Wash U, and maybe its most unexpected close big game was that Geneva W&J game I mentioned earlier. Nobody correctly picked a top 25 team to get upset, and there was one to be chosen if anybody had the courage to pick Wheaton. 
Nobody had trouble finding a team which would bounce back from a noteworthy loss. Nobody picked Earlham to beat Anderson. And only James correctly picked the two knack teams, which would improve to two and four, those being Benedictine and, in an upset, Rockford. So James would be the winner if we had winners or, you know, if we had points. The show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. See this week's quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. Time for pick six where uh, we pick, I, I throw out six games, Keith picks a winner, and nothing else. SUNY Maritime at Castleton. SUNY Maritime. Thomas Moore at St. Scholastica. Thomas Moore. Eau Long trip, at, though. Indeed. Eau Claire at Platteville. Platteville. Amherst at Wesleyan. Oh, Amherst is still in front in the NESCAC, unbeaten. DePauw at Wittenberg. Wittenberg. It's good. It's a, should be a good game, but Wittenberg at home should be, should be in good shape. And Illinois Wesleyan at Wash U. I like Illinois Wesleyan maybe more than most. I bet if you dug in the top 25 balloting, I might have them ranked higher than anyone. Um, so make me look good, Titans. And uh, if Keith takes all six of them to the end zone, we're not going to tell you. You'll have to figure out for them for yourself. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 214, season 12, episode 15, released on October 19th, 2018. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. You know, check back to see if we throw an extra podcast out. Who the hell knows? But if you like our podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of the places where you get podcasts because that will help other Division Three football fans find it. You can leave comments for us on the blog page as well. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr and Frank Grossi, plus guests Cleve Adams and Sports Information Director Drew Wilson for their time on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post with a legitimate email address at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. Sorry, you stayed to the end of the podcast this week, and there's no cool bonus anything. Next week, though. I mean, I could go get that trombone. Thank you so much, everybody.